What up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to episode 143. 143. I love you. Remember that from Beeper Days? 143? The one was for the I because it's only one letter. The four is for the four letters of L O V E. And the three was the three letters of Y O U. 143. And then the cool kids would use 831 for eight letters, three words, one meaning. Oh, high school days. And for you younger folks out there, beepers and pagers used to be these little box-like electronic devices that predated cell phones that folks would carry around, more so as a fashion statement, because a lot of motherfuckers used to rock beepers that weren't connected, myself included, sometimes. (laughs) And by not connected, I mean like didn't have like an actual service plan. But, you know, they were like cool looking these like little boxes that you attach to like your belt or your pocket someone could call it like you know calling a phone number and then leave you a message and first back in the day you could just leave a message such as like a uh, uh, a numerical message with the keypad you know from a landline phone on the other side and folks would come up with codes like one four three men i love you and eight three one and you know stuff like that most people would you know put their number so you would get a a page an alert it would start beeping and you would see somebody's number and you know that you would have to like call that person back they're trying to get in touch with you then those were upgraded to be able to leave like voicemails on them and you were also able to i believe leave a string of text like actual text like i don't know if it was like you left it verbally and then it was transcribed onto the the beeper screens or was that like two-way paging i don't know anyways that's just a mini impromptu history lesson for you folks episode 143 of the sponsor day podcast that's what this is and the sponsor day podcast is the podcast that is anchored in writing but unlimited in scope i'm your host tony ortiz and i appreciate you listening in this episode I speak about watching the final season of Orange is the New Black, which I finished a minute ago, but I haven't shared it with you fine folks here on the show. I also speak about a hip-hop doc called Stretch and Babito, Radio That Changed Lives. Shout out to my brother David that put me on to watching that one. I speak about the movie The Irishman and also UFC 245. All that and more. Once we return from a very quick way that you can help support the sponsored podcast if you so choose. And by the way, happy 2020. This is the first official episode of the new year. Wishing you folks much health and prosperity to you and yours in this coming year. And if you'd like to share some of that prosperity this way, here's a way that you can help do that. You know that feeling that you get on a Monday when you're sad because the weekend is over and you have nothing to look forward to except for lunch? have no fear the midday monday boost letter is here and you might be thinking what is the midday monday boost letter sounds like a mouthful and it is but it's also more than that i put together this absolutely free newsletter that i email to all my subscribers every monday at noon to spread a little joy and happiness if you choose to subscribe all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. And what you'll get is five things. You'll get a photo of the week, which who doesn't like looking at dope pictures? 
you'll also get a podcast of the week. I listen to dozens and dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide variety of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and share them with you as my recommendation for that week. Also in the Midday Monday Boost Letter, you will find a video of the week, which could be anything from a cool online recipe that I found, to a rap battle, to a TED talk, or a dope interview. I also share a quote of the week, a little food for thought, as well as a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there. Again, this is all absolutely free, and you can get my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you will get the very next one. Now, I might wind up recording this episode in like two sittings because I just found out from a Neil Brennan post on Instagram that Dave Chappelle is being awarded with the Mark Twain Award tonight on PBS at 9 p.m. Eastern. And I definitely want to watch that. So I might pause this midway, go watch that, and maybe finish the recording after the fact. And if not, I'll I'll wrap it up mañana. Anyways, Orange is the New Black, season seven. The final season of Orange is the the New Black. If I'm not mistaken, I shared all my feedback from each of the uh, previous seasons of Orange as I watched them over the years. And this is one of those shows that was a Netflix original, was one of their like bangers. Usually like their originals, you know, they have like one or two, maybe three seasons. This one went on for seven seasons. It was uh, one of like, I think like the early hits uh, early on in Netflix uh, streaming at least. And I personally thought it was a phenomenal show. I have some points here that I wrote down while I was watching the show. Again, I finished it a couple months ago. I just hadn't gotten around to recording an episode about it. And usually what I do when while I'm watching a show or a movie or right after it, I like jot down certain uh, points or things or scenes or, or lines of dialogue that like resonated with me that I liked and that I eventually want to use to share on the podcast. And sometimes it could be like days later when I'm thinking about the show or the movie or happen to think about it. And I come up with something else that I find interesting. You know, I jot that down. So I say all that just to say that none of what I'm about to share is in like any particular order or anything like that. But um, but yeah, just some some cool takeaways that I, I got from season seven of Orange is the New Black, the final season, which is currently and still streaming on Netflix. You know, it was crazy sad. One of the things this was like like a morose season. Is that the right word? Is that the right use of the word? I think the use is right. I'm not sure if the word is actually right. Morose? Morose? Anyway, it was a sad season in many respects. It dealt with immigration and injustices around some folks caught up in that system. It dealt with mental illness, heavy, especially when it came to like Lorna. Um, when it came to Tasty thinking about killing herself for like more than half the season. Uh, addiction issues with folks like Daya, other mental illness related issues that hit home for me personally with uh, Red uh, having Alzheimer's or dementia. There were redemption stories with Aleda getting out and trying to do right but wind, winding up doing wrong again. Or with Maria finding Jesus and shit. Joe Paterno being caught up in the whole 
like Me Too movement. There's a lot of layers, a lot of different things going on in this season. Something for everybody, if you will. But yeah, back to what I was referring to that was uh, really sad uh, with Lorna is that she, I don't know if you guys remember, she winds up like getting pregnant during a visit uh, from her husband a season or two before that, you know, they they got a, a guard to look the other way or or I forgot how they finagled it, but they wind up like banging on top of uh, uh, or against rather the vending machines. And she winds up getting pregnant, winds up having a baby and the baby is sick and winds up dying and that's obviously would hit home for like any parent but it was like sad seeing her like deal with that and the way she dealt with it was that she didn't tell anybody she like internalized it denied it like never came to terms with it and it like drove her nuts and but she would to like all her friends in, in jail and the prison and stuff she would just um continue like speaking about the baby like as if it was alive and they have uh some of them have like phones that they smuggled in or they had smuggled in and you know they go online they have instagram accounts and shit and she like keeps posting pictures of the baby by going on to other by like googling images of babies that she felt like looked like hers and she would like put different pictures up of different babies and stuff it was like sad to see her like go through that shit there was one scene that I found pretty cool, a line from it, rather, when uh, Nikki is sitting with, with Lorna, like, consoling her and shit, and they are actually both on cell phones and just sitting next to each other. And Nikki goes, we're two friends spending quality, parallel quality time together, just as nature intended. I thought that was pretty funny. And definitely a, a testament to the times of today when, like, sitting next to somebody and both of you are like on your phones or multiple views or on the phone. I'm guilty of it myself, uh, but it's something that I always think it's funny when I'm on like the outside looking on the opposite side of it and I see people like doing it. The show also deals with homelessness and like people getting out of the prison and things not going right for them and then winding up like on the streets. Would you guys want to hear a six stat? I th- if I'm not mistaken, Los Angeles is like the most rampant city in the United States with uh, homelessness. And if I'm wrong, you know, somebody, you know, reach out, let me know. Hit me up on on Twitter at Spun Today. But the, according to the Los Angeles Homeless uh, Services Authority, there's approximately 60,000 homeless people in Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, not the entire state of California, the city of Los Angeles today. 60,000. Like, they literally have areas of Los Angeles that they've named Tent City. Because it's just like blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks of folks like living in tents, living in the street. That's crazy. But yeah, the show uh, delves a little bit into that by portraying my homegirl, Cindy Hayes, and someone that wound up like leaving her her mom's house after getting out because of some issues that she had there. And she pretty much like ran away and wound up just living in the streets and followed her around a bit. And I call her my homegirl. Because I actually saw her on the train. So I think I have the right to call her that now. We're friends. We're BFFs. <laughs> no, but um, I did see her. Cindy Hayes. Uh, Adrian Seymour, which plays Cindy Hayes. I saw her on the train. I walk on. I'm standing, you know, coming home from work. You know, it's rush hour. I'm standing towards, like, the back of the train where she is as well. And she's with another guy. 
that you know wasn't like right next to her but you know you know like sometimes when you're with somebody but the train is packed you like can't fit next to each other really he was like by the door and she was more by like uh, holding onto the railing in front of the seats those like three seats by like the end on most trains and then i was like right by her and i looked at her a couple times and she looked at me and i was kind of like like i knew who she was instantly which she was like a lot thinner and like shorter than um she is on the show or you know shorter i i picture her being like mad tall for some reason but and you know i'm not i'm not tall myself but i couldn't think of her fucking name i definitely didn't know her real name which i i looked up and i now know is adrian moore um but i couldn't think of her name on the show and i was like fuck man like, i want to say yo sandy what's up or like something i could couldn't think of any of the of the characters names on the show so I just like awkwardly looked at her a couple times and then she wound up like having to like say excuse me to me to like get off the train like on her stop. I think she got off like on no trend or something like that. And um, I was like, yeah, I thought that was fucking cool. I saw Cindy Hayes on the train. And then, you know what happened to me? A couple days later, literally, I saw Colin Quinn on the train as well. I was leaving work and he was like buying a MetroCard at one of the machines. And I was like, oh shit. And, I'm, and again, I couldn't think of his fucking name. And I had literally just seen, like, I know who Colin Quinn is, like, as a comic. And I had literally recently had just seen the Red State, Blue State uh, thing that he did on a special that he did on Netflix. And I really liked the, which was really good, by the way. And I really liked, he did a, a New York story uh, back in the day also. Not even that back in the day. I think it was, like, on Netflix or maybe HBO. But that was, like, really dope and i was like fuck i couldn't think of his fucking name he was like by himself there like trying to figure out like how to buy a metric card or something and then i walked down to the train and then i googled you know red state blue state or i either that or the new york story and you know he his name popped up and i was like fuck colin quinn then i was like on a streak of like seeing famous people which has never happened to me before maybe like once or twice ever but I, i can't remember any then a couple weeks after that, I was on, um, I was leaving the Intrepid Museum because I did a, I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the podcast or not, but I did a, uh, like a 9-11 volunteer thing through work where we like packaged, uh, food for, for homeless folks and leaving it, me and my boy from work, I see somebody get off, uh, get out of a cab and I was like, oh shit, look, it, it's Kevin Bacon. And I, there, like, I actually remembered the name. I was like, proud of myself. I was like, fuck actually like got his name my boy was like is it are you sure and i was like yo kev and i like waved and he like looked over and gave me like a head nod and waved and then you know he kept walking we kept walking i was like oh shit <laughs> and then this lady like wound up like coming coming down um to me and saying what what what's that actor's name the one that was just there and i was like kevin bacon she was like kevin bacon so she was like how i was a couple weeks before with colin quinn and adrian moore Anyways, I digress. Immigration ice courts. This is something else that the this show uh, tackles, which if there's any shred ounce of truth to the way that they depicted this, it's fucking horrendous. So the show plays on the whole narrative of folks crossing the border illegally and, you know, children being separated from their parents and stuff like that. And stories like that. And it also uh, speaks to, which was uh, like a, a through line in through the last like few seasons 
uh, the private prison system and how a private private prisons, as you all know, are have a focus on the bottom line rather than actual rehabilitation because it's a for profit private prison. They get paid based on the number of inmates that they have. So it's in their best interest to make sure that recidivism is high. People aren't getting rehabilitated. You know, lobbyists from private prison contractors, prison guard unions, make sure to lobby politicians to put their thumbs on tipping the scales towards passing stricter laws and unjust laws that happen to incarcerate folks at higher rates. A famous example of this is like the Coke versus crack penalty. I think it was something like a hundred to one. And then it was lowered under the Obama administration for to eight to one, which still, you know, makes absolutely no sense. It's literally the same the same drug. Coke and crack both come from cocaine. This one is snorted up the nose, and then another one is mixed with baking soda and water and warmed up and turned into a rock and then smoked. But chemically it's literally the same exact thing. But poorer folks, mainly people of color, black and brown folks, were more so users of crack versus wealthier folks that more prevalently use cocaine. But the sentencing would literally be, used to be 100 to 1 difference, then lowered to 8 to 1 difference, and I think it may have been lowered to like 3 to 1 or ratio-wise. Anyway, the point is that these prison systems are set up to make money to optimize the bottom line however they can they definitely touch on that in this season as well as uh season six season five but they add the element here of the immigration courts and what this private prison did was instead of using money to ship the inmates to court you know via you know bust them to court and then bust them back and all the costs associated with that, what they did was build a courtroom within the prison. And then they would just have a judge there pretty much around the clock and do what was called, you know, to speed up the sentencing process. The more folks they sentence, the more they save on not having to bust them around. And also the more money they make per inmate. And they just showed like sad stories of like a mother that was there that, you know, did cross the border illegally her children were born in the U.S., so she was, like, separated from them. They were staying with a foster family. You know, she was, like, a single mom because their father died, and she worked, like, two jobs, and, you know, she came to the States because of the fact that her husband died, and the kids, you know, they lived, like, in a bad neighborhood that was, like, riddled with violence, and she wanted to get her kids uh, away from that. And I'm definitely not saying that, you know, her coming over illegally is is right obviously it's legally wrong but morally she was right for doing what she did i would do it for my kid i would take that risk to get them out of harm's way you know there's a stark difference between that and gang members and drug dealers and you know just like freeloaders that cross over illegally you know what i mean like you have to make a distinction just like no american person is the same like everybody listening to this episode right now we have similarities, but none of us are the same, right? I don't think, you know, it's fair to to paint folks coming over the border, illegally or not, you know, with the same brush. 
but um but yeah it, it shows like those types of stories and the saddest saddest part of that whole um storyline was that they showed the kids that were like separated from their parents and they were like just the kids like the full courtroom you have children like five years old six years old seven years old and the judge is just like going through the motions and saying do you agree that statute one two three eighty seven thirty four was broken when you illegally crossed the border from mexico to the u.s and there's a, a fucking five-year-old saying i want my mom you know like they don't know what the fuck they're saying and then the judge is like well since you are unable to ask for your own counsel and didn't answer the question correctly you are being deported you know it's like holy shit it's like if there's any shred of truth if anything similar to that is happening like really happening shame on whoever the fuck continues to allow that to happen and that put those mechanisms in place to facilitate that happening fuck you and the rotten twat hole that you came from what else was dope about this season oh uh Pusey's cameo which was done like in a it was like a like a flashback obviously because she died as a character on the show when one of the inexperienced prison guards was like holding her down and she couldn't breathe and she wound up dying she in this season that happened a couple seasons ago in this season uh, made a cameo in uh, flashback form when tasty who found out that she got pretty much fucked over with this whole riot that happened the season before and you know people ratting people out and pretty much pinned it on her even though it wasn't her that uh wound up killing a police officer but a a few of the inmates got together including her friend uh cindy hayes which is uh, who i was speaking about before pretty much for them to get time off and not to get additional time added wound up pinning everything on tasty wound up getting like life in jail So she goes through this whole season slipping further and further down the drain, getting darker and darker and thinking about killing herself. And when that reaches a fever pitch, there's a scene where she's like walking down the hall to presumably do it, you know, like off herself. And she sees like a flickering light in the hallway. And then there's a flashback scene to her and Pusey talking on the phone and during that conversation there's like a flickering light or Pusey says something about a flickering light and the whole conversation that they have is like a, a double meaning type of conversation that applies to what they're speaking about then and also as advice to Tasty now in the present and it winds up uh, deterring her from actually killing herself the character of uh that plays uh Doggett I forget her what was her full name on the show Tiffany Doggett she winds up killing herself or ODing. I don't think they actually get into if it was on purpose or not, but it seemed like it was. Tasty winds up finding purpose and a reason to stay alive and uh, keeping Pusey's name alive by starting a prison fund called uh, uh, the Pusey Washington Fund. And it's a way to give micro loans to prisoners getting out of jail to help them get on their feet because she realized through uh, tutoring that she was doing in the prison for the uh, GD exam that there was a gap financially that needed to be filled for between prisoners that got out of prison and when they would be able to obtain employment. So this fund is meant to bridge that gap and 
give prisoners a sense of responsibility and paying back these microloans, so on and so forth. And it's actually, if you text PW Fund, Pusse Washington Fund, just a PW Fund to 41411, it's something that I guess the folks at Netflix um, actually set up. So do that for some more info. I thought that was pretty cool. A little art spilling over into reality. What else? Uh, Piper, her indecisive ass, finally made a decision and stuck to it. Uh, at the very end, <laughs> her char- character finally got over the hump of, the, of that arc there. And uh, I thought it was really cool at the end. All the all the characters uh, kind of sort of like made a cameo appearance. And by all the characters, I mean like the characters that, that weren't necessarily a focal point of this season. And they were characters that in the previous season, if you remember, they were when they closed down uh, Litchfield Prison they split up a lot of the inmates and then the story I obviously followed um, one set of inmates with, with in the jail, which is the ones, you know, mainly that I was speaking about now, but all the other ones that were in previous seasons went presumably to other jails. So they kind of like made a cameo and went to like the jails and, and places that they were at. Some people got out and uh, it showed like, where are they now type of thing. I thought that was a pretty cool way to uh, bind up the show and uh wrap things up but yeah that was season seven the final season of orange is the new black it's a dope series a netflix original and you folks should check it out if you're interested next up is stretch and babito radio that changed lives this is a documentary that i believe is on netflix i believe is on netflix it might be on hbo so this is in a documentary about an underground rap radio show started by dj stretch armstrong which is a, a lanky white dude he recruited babito garcia which is a spanish guy my guess would be puerto rican to host the show stretch armstrong was a club dj in the 80s around new york and babito worked at def jam doing like show promotions and while stretch was going to columbia university he had this idea of starting uh, starting the show and it wound up becoming like the place to be for any and all hip-hop artists it became like this iconic show that each and every one of those artists like praised to this day and it was like in terms of influence and impact and it was just like a raw rugged honest put together show where all these artists which i'm gonna rattle off some some of their names in a bit but like where they wanted to be. And it was like this rinky-dink little college radio station on Columbia University's campus that aired in the 90s from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. And I thought it was really dope that uh, Robert Babito Garcia wrote the screenplay for this doc and directed it and put it together. Uh, it's dope for me to see when anybody's passionate about anything. And it definitely shines through how much these guys were into rap and hip-hop and they like show like some video clips from back in the day they play a lot of audio recordings because i guess you know there was less less video back then and they used to record each of their radio shows on cassette tapes according to wikipedia there's 212 of them four hours long each so do the math and 
something they did in the documentary is show they interviewed like all these you know big name artists today and played for them from the vhs tapes and i'm talking about artists like jay-z nas fat joe they would interview them and play them clips of them of those artists being on the show way back then and it's like dope to see the reactions and and look like they were just like handed a piece of history that they had lost or maybe they they like had with them like internally like internalized but definitely not something that you can like pull up on youtube you know what i mean i remember there uh there's this dope freestyle by uh big l and jay-z called the seven minute freestyle that i remember from being younger being like one of those songs or freestyles that i would play and people like would ask oh shit who's that where'd you get that i hadn't heard that before it's just dope by both big l rest in peace and jay-z a young jay-z at the time and i found out from watching this that that was recorded on stretch and babito which i thought was dope but i'm gonna give you guys a list of some of the folks that were on this show during their their span these are all unsigned artists at the time when they're wanting you know they're they're hungry artists that want to be on this one radio show that actually gets it that actually gets this hip-hop thing and there's a stat that says that all of these unsigned artists that were on the show wound up going on to sell 300 million plus records not 300 million dollars worth of records that would be crazy in and of itself but 300 million records sold that's fucking bonkers so here's some of the names nas biggie wu-tang all of wu-tang by the way all of wu-tang jay-z big l big pun eminem cypress hill bust rhymes which says in the documentary that he used to record the stretch and babito show himself at home and then go to school make a couple copies and then go to school that week and sell the cassettes for five bucks fat joe lauren hill common q-tip the roots krs1 talib kwali shout out to the people's party podcast by the way by talib kwali it's pretty dope you guys should check it out Royce the Five Nine, Sway, Rosie Perez, Angie Martinez, DJ Premier, etc., etc., etc. The list goes on and on. It is definitely a dope piece of hip hop history, New York history, radio history, and you folks should definitely check it out. Stretch and Babito, radio that changed lives. Next up, next up, next up is The Irishman. I thought this was a great movie. The uh, Golden Globes actually just happened a few days ago, and it was nominated for Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Al Pacino, Best Supporting Actor for Joe Pesci, the director, obviously, Martin Scorsese, Best Drama, and Best uh, Screenplay by Steven Zillian. And it was a very highly anticipated movie. I first heard about it, I want to say maybe like a a year and a half ago maybe a year ago i had forgotten about it and and i was definitely looking forward to it as most folks were it's a scorsese movie a gangster movie uh, it's the first time al pacino and uh, robert de niro were getting together i think since heat 
and it was for a Scorsese gangster movie to boot, so it was just awesome all around. Al Pacino does a great job at playing Jimmy Hoffa in the movie, the Teamsters uh, union boss, who is notoriously known for supposedly being buried under home plate at Yankee Stadium because he pissed some mobsters off, but he was like affiliated with the mob. And the main thing that this movie, which by the way was long as shit, three hours and a half, I believe, and it didn't feel that way at all. Like I wanted more after it was done. Uh, It took me three days to watch it, and I definitely still wanted more. I thought it was really dope. The message that I get from the movie, I can best state with a Robert Frost quote, which is, quote, in three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on, end quote. And that's what I get from it. And life happens regardless of the route that you take in it. Good, bad, and different. Life just happens. Robert De Niro, which does a fantastic job, plays a hitman for the mob. He's an Irish guy, but he's taken under the wing of Joe Pesci's character, who's a made guy in the Italian mafia. And De Niro is relentlessly loyal to a fault but not to his family or even friends to that g-code that gangster shit that is seemingly all he knows all he'll allow himself to understand and be okay with he was a provider for his family financially but that's it that's where it ended he had like zero emotional connection with his wife or kids when his wife died, he pretty much went home after the funeral and just like grabbed her cigarettes that she had lying around and just tossed them in the trash like as he was walking in through the door. He kind of sort of wanted to reconnect with his kids towards the end of his life, but even that felt like kind of forced. In the final scene of the, of the movie, he is having a conversation with a priest that went to visit him at the home that he lived in. And he says to the priest as he walks out, Father, do me a favor. Don't shut the door all the way. I don't like that. Leave it open a little bit. And I guess you could break that line down into meaning leaving the door open towards the like path of redemption. He's not wanting to be all the way bad and, you know, trying to balance that throughout his life. Him not wanting the father to write him off as a lost cause. All that stuff, along with obviously the physicality of not closing the door all the way. And as the camera pans out, you see the how small his life ended up being. You see him in a home by himself, in a chair, in a small room, surrounded by people just doing their jobs in the nursing home. And every personal connection that he's ever had just deteriorated around him. But yeah, I thought it was a great movie. They play these like older gangsters, right? Joe Pesci specifically stole the show from me. He was like a cool, calm, and collected gangster for once, as opposed to all his other like gangster roles. But they even slid in like a nod to all his previous roles with a like a one-liner when Pesci tells De Niro that fucking Jew, which I just took as like being an homage to the whole "you Jew motherfucker, you Jew motherfucker, you" famous uh, Pesci line. Um, so he played these older gangsters, and there's a lot of flashback scenes that were done with the actual actors you know robert de niro al pacino joe pesci which are all older gentlemen and they use cgi to make them like look younger i heard a lot of people say 
or a few people, you know, I didn't really keep a tally, but <laughs> I heard more than once people say that that was distracting, that took away from the movie, that kind of like ruined it for them. But I honestly didn't even like notice it at all. So I thought it was like a dope job. It could be because I, I actually saw the movie on my phone while commuting like from home from work, like over three days. I just watched it on my phone. So maybe, you know, the small screen and it what's the output, like 480p or something like that on the phone. Maybe that's why I didn't like pick up on it. Maybe, you know, at the theater or on a bigger TV screen that comes comes out more. I guess I'll notice when I rewatch, but for me, it didn't, didn't like phase me at all. I didn't even notice it, at least not in a distracting way. And uh, something else that was really dope is that there was a lot of like great actors in it, a lot of comics. Sebastian Maniscalco was in it. Jim Norton plays Don Rickles. Ray Romano's in it. Action Bronson's in it. Dasha Polanco's in it. Bobby Cannavale's in it. My boy Chip Rossetti. But yeah, definitely great movie. Worth a watch. You guys should check it out. The Irishman, now streaming currently on Netflix. UFC 245 was a dope card. I find myself saying that a lot about UFC cards, but what can I say? They put together a good, uh, a good show, a good promotion, a good product. The first fight, or the first fight that I saw, was, which I think was the first one, the first um, on the main card. Maybe it was the undercard, actually. I'm trying to think. Anyway, it was uh, Uriah Faber's fight, which I don't know why he came back. I mean, Uriah Faber, a legend, Hall of Famer, California kid. Guys, if you retire, stay retired. I hate when fighters retire or leave for whatever reason. They wind up coming back and do badly. Then it's like they're like chasing the dragon type of thing. And I'm not a fighter, obviously, by any stretch. But I liken that to like any pursuit or profession. Once you call it, you call it. Stick to it. Do something else. Because then you have like a hungry up and comer. Or not necessarily up and comer, but in Uriah's case, it was uh, Peter Yan that, you know, schooled him. He definitely outclassed him. Uriah had a nasty cut, and Peter Yan TKO'd him in the, th- in the third round. Then next up was the Marlon Moraes and Jose Aldo fight. And I actually tweeted earlier on in the week, I saw an interview or a picture of an interview with Aldo while he was doing uh, his press run and uh, Ariel and Jose Aldo, which cut down from 45 to 35, I think for the first time, looked like fucking Skeletor. Like he looked drained, horrible. And he came into this fight and looked fucking spectacular, in my opinion. Best that I've seen him in a while. Like, look like he has a future in the 35 division if he can continue to make the weight. He's obviously a Hall of Famer also, legend, but someone that started early and is fairly young. He's, like, in his early 30s, if I'm not mistaken. Just has a lot of, like, fights under his belt, a lot of mileage. And to me, he looks stronger. Oh, he's 33 years old, actually. He looks stronger than Moraes. He was walking through Moraj's punches, just eating them. And I thought Jose Aldo won, but the decision was ultimately given to Marlon Moraj. Like, I thought clearly Jose Aldo won. 
he thought so too seemingly at the end of the fight like when they called it he was like kind of like what the fuck put his hands up in the air type of thing and was talking to marlon and i couldn't make out exactly what they were saying but body language wise it seemed like he was like oh come on you know that was a bullshit decision or something like that so yeah i think it was robbed then next we had the women's bantamweight title bout between amanda nunez and jermaine durandamy nunez fucked up durandamy in the first round i thought and she got it to the ground ground and pounded the fuck out of her she had her knee on her belly she arm triangled her but durandamy made it through and made it out then in the second round it was mostly durandamy like while they were standing up and nunez had to resort to uh takedowns she definitely had a clear advantage on the ground with her jujitsu and durandamy actually had a big head kick and knees to the head that seemed to rock amanda and Amanda took her to the ground and rode out the rest of that round. Then Amanda went back to dominating in the third with her ground game, her wrestling. She actually took an up kick from the randomly, which wobbled her, but she got through it. Then in the fourth, it was more Nunez. She continued to dominate on the ground. The randomly got caught in a triangle that transitioned into an arm bar. And then she slipped out of it. And even though it was like heavy groundwork, heavy jiu-jitsu which we're not used to seeing from from amanda it was a dope fight it was an exciting fight and she got the w she retained her her title and she actually said on the mic that she the game plan was to go five rounds like she wanted to showcase her other skills namely on the ground and not that she's just a, a knockout artist and by the way uh dc's commentary daniel cormier's commentary is like a master class for what fighters can be doing or could have done better like if fighters like go back and watch their own fights they should definitely watch it with the commentary if it's like rogan the and you know dc in this case specifically dominic cruz is another favorite of mine in terms of like fight iq and but dc is like in a class on his own like they can learn to me it felt like they can learn from his commentary just the way he delivers it, the way he gives like pointers and should have done this to try to get that position. He's definitely one of the goats in fighting and also in uh, commentary. Then we have the Holloway and Volkanovski fight, the co-main event of the evening for the 145 pound strap that one of my favorites, Max Holloway, for the first time in a long time, lost to Alexander Volkanovski. And I want to repeat the weight class that they're fighting in, 145. Just to say that Volkanovski used to weigh 250 pounds. And he used to be a rugby a rugby player. And he got down to 145 for this fight. <laughs> Which is insane. I mean, he's been a fighter for a long time, but he used to play rugby. And when he did, he weighed 250 pounds. That's literally over 100 pounds more than his fight weight. Which is insane to me. But Holloway to me, and to most, I don't think it's like really debatable, is the best featherweight of all time. But uh, Volkanovski fought a great fight. He had a shitload of leg kicks, which seemed to bother the hell out of Holloway during the fight. And came away with the W. Basically on points. Not basically, literally on points because it went to decision. 
And according to Max on uh, Rogan's podcast, the leg kicks looked a lot worse than what they were. He said, like, that night, he, you know, like, he went out, like, partying or clubbing or whatever, as he had planned, like, win or lose. And, you know, his leg was, like, never an issue. And he had gotten, like, hurt and rocked, you know, much worse in other fights that he ultimately won. So, although he didn't agree with the decision, he, you know, tipped his hat to uh, Volkanovski and, and obviously said he would love to do it again. A rematch, if that's what's what's offered to him. But, yeah, but during the fight, like, watching the fight, like, by round two, like, Max's legs were, like, completely, like, chewed up from leg kicks. Like, his left leg was so fucked up to the point that he, Max had to wind up, like, switching stances. I don't know if he did that unconsciously or because it hurt or because maybe it was part of his game plan or not. But it was definitely something that visibly bothered him during the fight. Max, as usual, had, like, a bunch of successful, like, boxing flurries. You know, he's a very creative puncher and has awesome movement. So that's always a, a treat to watch. Well, I was watching... I'm not a professional judge, obviously, although I can't imagine I'd be much worse, <laughs> but um, I would have given Volkanovski, I thought he won the first and the third, and the fourth might have been Holloway's due to like the combinations that were, and like heavy strikes that were thrown, but Volkanovski just outstruck Max in every single round, and he wound up winning a, a unanimous decision. And fun fact, he is a training partner of Stylebenders, Israel Adesanya's. I thought that was pretty interesting. And last but not least, the very much anticipated Kamaru Usman versus Colby Covington. This is Kamaru Usman's first fight back after beating Tyron Woodley, one of the most dominating welterweight champions of all time, versus Trump's favorite UFC fighter, Colby Covington, the... Uh, Epic uh, Trump troll, MAGA hat wearing, cheap suit wearing, great fighter that has a gas tank that lasts for days. These two guys were very much so known for their wrestling. It's crazy to see that they stayed standing the entire time. I don't think not one attempted a, a takedown like throughout the entire fight. And if they did, it was maybe like towards the end, towards when they had a, a couple scrambles. But it was back and forth the first round. Usman had some wins. Colby had some wins. Back and forth, back and forth. Dead even, I would say. In the second round, it was more of the same. But there was a lot more volume, as expected, from Colby's side. But the harder shots were coming from Usman. Kamara was definitely hitting uh, Colby with some hard shots to the body, specifically. The third was a lot more of the same. And then, going into the fourth, Colby told his corner, which was picked up... um, in the audio, that he thinks his jaw is broken. Then the camera crew like started showing like instant replays of where they thought uh, his jaw actually did get broken, and you know like Rogan, DC, and these guys added like the commentary uh, around that, and it definitely was. It shows like a straight. I want to say right, but maybe it was a straight left. I think it was a right though, a straight right down the pike, directly on Colby's jaw. And you see that shit, like, go to the other side of his head. What was most impressive, though, is that during that, you know, that was going into the fourth round. During the fourth round, like, Colby may have won the fourth round. Like, there was very competitive back and forth. 
and with a broken draw jaw it was like super impressive going into the fifth i would have said it was like two two like two rounds to two rounds maybe three to one for usman but i wouldn't have been upset if it was two two then in the fifth uh kamaro stepped it up a notch more he knocked colby down twice both times with like less than a minute to go and then like hammer fists and tko'd him which i'm sure was a nice feather in his cap nice way to end it guy that was talking massive amounts of shit for a very long time you know he really plays up that heel character to be able to literally shut him up and break his mouth has to feel good on some level for Kamaro. so hats off to him hats off to ufc 245 and hats off to you fine folks for listening to the first episode of 2020 of the sponsor day podcast this is episode 143 i appreciate you guys listening it's about to be midnight here on the east coast and your boy gotta wake up early manana so i'm out but please do stick around listen to some tunes and to a couple ways you can help support the podcast if you so choose peace Just sitting on your front porch Wondering how could I be so far from my home And my mind is somewhere else But when I find it I'll patch up where it's been blown Now I'm just floating on the breeze And I feel I'm falling like these leaves I must be Cornerstone Oh, but when I reach that ground I'll share this peace of mind I found I can feel it in my bones But it's gonna take a little time For me to set that parking brake And let myself unwind Hey folks, Tony here, and I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. If you'd like to support, I'd really appreciate it, and we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so. If you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that. There you'll find an Amazon banner similar to the other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At sponsorday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Kofi pages. Patreon and Kofi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like, you can check out either one of those two 
services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra, but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today viral style store. This is where you can get Spun Today related merch. And you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh, writing related things on them that I put together myself. I'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I put together things that I wanted to see and, and uh, wear myself. A couple of my favorites are the one that says writing is life and another one that says write need every day and it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words. You'll also find a sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color changing mug that's related to my debut novel Fractal. It's completely black and when it gets hot when you put it in coffee or tea it starts changing to white and it also exposes the cover art for my novel fractal it's pretty dope so definitely check all that stuff out which again you can find by going to sponsory.com forward slash support and of course do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at sponsory on twitter at sponsory on instagram subscribe to the sponsory youtube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Also, don't forget to check out all the free shit that I have on my website as well. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. And there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and just some general food for thought. You can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography. Feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish. I set it up so that you can like copy and download the photos. And my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. And last but certainly not least, my pride and joy corner spuntoday.com forward slash books here you will find my published books which you find folks can find links to purchase them on amazon whether you want hard copies or digital uh, kindle copies that's the spot for you thank you very much for being a spun today listener and as always substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams Thanks for listening.